all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I am a surgical pathologist, and I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is our expert for the hour as well, because it is Prematurity Awareness Month, and we're talking all about uh, premature birth, uh, what are the causes of premature birth? Is there something that we can do as Mississippians to reduce the premature birth rate in our great state? Are there things that uh, women who are pregnant and the folks that love women who are pregnant can do to reduce the risk of premature birth, etc.? The number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. Do you have a story about um, maybe you uh, are the product of a premature birth or you uh, had a baby early or uh, know someone that did and have personal experience? Or maybe you have questions. Maybe um, you'd like to know from our expert, Dr. Michelle Owens, about prematurity and and, and the causes of prematurity? Yeah, I think this is good for, um, this is a really good topic for for storytelling. Um, And it's, um, I think it's a very, it's a very personal experience. And there can be highly variable experiences when women deliver early. Um, There are a lot of misperceptions out there as it pertains to babies who come early. And um, I think there's been a lot of effort that has gone into trying to help people understand when is um, when's the optimal time for delivery um, and also uh, some of the things that can happen uh, when everything doesn't go as planned and uh, you do have a, a baby that comes early. Um, and so there's a lot to focus on when we talk about prematurity. It's a, a, a big issue not only in Mississippi but in the United States in general. And um, it affects everybody, the entire healthcare system, in very different ways. Um, so it's really good to have an opportunity to talk about it. There are lots of different causes and um, some other upstream and downstream effects. Um, so it's kind of like if you think of it as a, a wheel and, and spokes, like if you have premature birth at the center, there are so many other things that can contribute to that. And then also, um, there are 
many other issues and complications that persist not only in the short term but also in the long term um, throughout sometimes the the life of the the baby that is born early um, but also um, it definitely has an impact and effect on the families as well definitely I guess for starters let's go ahead and define premature birth because I have two children I had one at 38 weeks and one at 36 weeks so yeah and people say they come early when exactly. it's before the due date exactly so I mean, came early. so what is premature well how many weeks pregnant or how can we um, relay that to the audience so so we I think we tend to talk about prematurity but we um, but from an obstetric standpoint the conversation is really about it's all kind of centers around um, full term so I think um, when so for I guess the easiest way to do that is to actually kind of give you a few other definitions first so um, so a regular pregnancy, a normal pregnancy, um, lasts 40 weeks. 40 weeks. 40 long weeks. 40 right? <laughs> long or short weeks, depending on how you experience it. But um, So uh, uh, the normal uh, gestational time is 40 weeks. Because we talk about nine months. That's kind of the common way to say it in layman's terms. But it's yeah. actually 40 weeks. 40 weeks, right. And so, that's, and so it's kind of funny, right? Because when you have, when you have a baby... We tend to, for the first couple of years of that child's life, we don't really say, oh, how's your baby? Oh, it's one. No, we do it by months. And so when we are talking about pregnancy, though, we talk about pregnancy in terms of weeks of gestation. So um, while people try to say, oh, about six months or seven months, that's kind of extrapolating that based on um, where they fall by the number of weeks, with the basic assumption being that they're four weeks in, a, in, in every month. Um, so... So 40 weeks is the normal gestational period. We consider um, full term to be from 39 and 0, 7, so 39 weeks um, to 39 to 40 weeks. Okay. So that's considered full term. And this is a little different because, um, you know, even when I trained, we used to just say term which was kind of, you know, thought to be the finish line. Um, but now we realize that all term is not the same. And so it's categorized now. So full term is 39 weeks. And then there's something called early term, which is still term, but it's early term. And the reason that that distinction is made is because those babies who are born between 37 and 38 weeks um, are still at a slightly increased risk when compared to those babies who are full-term 39, 40 weeks. So, um, and then there's preterm, um, which gets us into this concept of prematurity or um, premature births. So anything that any baby that is born before 37 weeks of gestation is considered a preterm birth. So that is a preterm or a premature birth. Um, and so they, those are also subclassified into late preterm, which are those babies that are born from 34 uh, weeks to 36 and 6 sevenths. Um, that's considered the late preterm. Wait, it's going to be too much. Math I know. For there's me. lots of okay. different. Lo- so it, it's essentially a little breakdown of a, from the months back. Going back from <laughs> going back from term, you know, roughly every two weeks or so, you change. Um, a lot is going on there toward the end of the pregnancy, right? Absolutely. Well, a lot's going the on the whole time. The needs to stay in the oven. Absolutely. And, you know, so there are lots of people who feel like um, 
the so the the fetal weight may influence how they feel about how well their baby's going to do and um if you ask any of our pediatric colleagues they'll tell you that while while baby's birth weights are very important um that the weight doesn't necessarily equate to maturity yeah in fact I remember in the NICU doing rotations, the bigger babies were usually the sickest babies. Yeah, so that can definitely happen. And so the issue that's really important and that's central to many of the issues and problems that we have with prematurity is that that the concept of gestation or pregnancy is that fetal development is continuous. It's a continuum. And so there is something that is being done or continuing to grow and develop from the moment that, you know, the egg and the sperm unite, development begins, and that continues all the way until delivery and even beyond. So um, the fact that, so anytime that you check out a little early, there are still things that need to be done. So these babies may have what people might consider an appropriate weight. Um, They may even look on ultrasounds. You know, we have lots of technology, ultrasound technology that allows us to have even prettier pictures of babies than we've ever had. And so people look and they're like, oh, that baby looks like that baby looks like it's perfectly fine. However, it's just like I tell people this all the time. It's like when you're baking a cake in an oven and you can put the cake in the oven, you get really excited, you turn the light on and you're watching it. And there's a point when if you look at that cake, you would think, oh, it's ready. It's done. Right. So say it's supposed to be in for an hour and 45 minutes and you're like at an hour and 20 and it's nice and golden brown on the top and it looks really good. If you pull it out of the oven at that moment, well, guess what? You'll find out really quickly that it's still not done on the inside. And it's very similar with babies who are born too soon. Even if they may look like small versions of people, um, they they still aren't really done on the inside. And so they need more time. You got to leave the bun in the oven for a little bit more time so that they have the chance to like cook. You got to let them marinate and cook and continue is to develop. Is that what you learned in your obstetrics residency about well, you cooking know, babies? You can tell I was a kid who also got to take home ec when I was in school. I so love that little you bake it yourself a, oven. Put them together. That was some yummy stuff. The easy bake. The easy bake oven. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and take our first break of the hour. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Call us with any questions or comments about. We love stories too. Yeah, Tell us pre- stories. Had a baby in the health, NICU. Early baby. Mm-hmm. Triumphs that maybe you've had um, with a premature baby. And then, you know, all of your experiences. We love to hear them. 1 877 MPB Ring. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I am Dr. Allie Brown. I am here today with a guest that needs no introduction. She's also our host, Michelle Owens. She's an expert in maternal fetal medicine. And for those of you who don't know exactly what that means, that's high-risk obstetrics. So today we're talking about prematurity and who better to have than Dr. Owens herself. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. We do have a caller on the line, and we're going to go straight to Sailor, who's calling us from South Haven. Ahoy, Sailor. Oh, my gosh. Was that hi, really hi. bad? That was so corny. Hey, how are you? I am okay. How are you? We're doing great. What's your question? My question is, how long, uh, I am a man, so I'm interested, how long a man can have a sexual intercourse with a woman who is pregnant? All right, Dr. Owens. So um, so there are usually no limitations that exist um, in our recommendations for uh, intercourse. It's part of a, a normal and healthy relationship. And we encourage people as long as they, you know, don't have any other um, problems that where we would recommend that they limit their activity. For example, there are some women who may have a cervical cerclage or some other um, reason why they've been put on pelvic rest. But if you do not have the requirement or the restriction of pelvic rest, we recommend that people continue to have um, sexual intercourse even when they're pregnant for as long as they are physically able and comfortable and interested in doing so. Okay, thank you. You are very welcome. Dr. Owens, I hope you didn't ru- uh, ruin somebody's excuse out there. Look, I know. I, so I can, there might be people who are cringing now saying, oh my gosh, I I'm can't on pelvic rest. I'm yeah. on pelvic rest. <laughs> but no, but I, and, and I think that's important because, so, you know, Sailor called in, he, there are some men who actually are worried because they are fearful that by engaging in intercourse that they might actually do something to harm the pregnancy. So this is a great segue for us to have just a little quick conversation on, um, you know, how to um, things that you need to be aware of or some of the truths about um, sexual activity during pregnancy and the influences thereof. So um, so there are men who are, are had patients who've said, well, my partner doesn't really want to have sex anymore because he's afraid that he's going to do something to hurt the baby. And so, so you can't really get to the baby through that's, the. That's confidence. So the baby right. does the baby does come out of the vagina, but you can't really get to the baby through the vagina. Um, so the baby's not just kind of sitting right in there. So it's perfectly fine. So for people who are apprehensive or fearful that they may do something to actually harm the baby or poke the baby, I've heard this before. That's why I'm giving these examples because people do believe that you don't. You can rest assured that that is not going to happen, and so that should not preclude you from having sexual intercourse if that's something that you would desire to do. Um, however, there are some instances where during sexual intercourse, especially in pregnancy, the vagina and the cervix have more blood flow um, and there are hormonal influences on the actual tissue. It is not uncommon for people to experience some spotting, so some vaginal spotting with intercourse. Um, Which is always scary in pregnancy. Absolutely. Anytime people they're get spotting. nervous, oh my gosh, I'm yeah. bleeding. Um, so some spotting can be normal after sexual intercourse. 
Um, and that doesn't mean that it always happens, but if it does happen, we are not always surprised by that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong. Um, the other thing that I have heard, um, I think is the concern for, well, whether or not, um, it will cause them to go into labor. And so, um, and we're all friends here. We're, we're all friends. We can talk about this stuff. Um, so as so yes when when um when you have intercourse and you know when when the man climaxes then that's the sperm and the fluid can actually um cause some contractions and some softening of the cervix um that can also be said for women as well. So when a woman who is pregnant reaches climax, one of the things that happens is it causes the release of oxytocin, which is our natural hormone that is present when you go into labor and causes regular contractions. So it's not uncommon after having sexual intercourse um, for especially the further along you go in pregnancy um, if there is an orgasm or a climax involved for um, the woman to experience some mild contractions. That usually doesn't start labor, but it, you can have what we call uterine irritability or some small uh, low amplitude or uh, contractions as a result of having sexual intercourse. So just understand that that is, and though that's all hormone mediated, it all makes sense. And that is something that we know can happen and so we're not surprised when we hear that. However, if you don't know that, then some people will sometimes be really alarmed, concerned. And we actually, you know, evaluate people quite frequently in the hospital. If they come in contracting, we often ask them, you know, when, when did you last have intercourse? Um, and some of those kinds of questions based on knowing that that will that that, that can be the result. Well, thank you, Dr. Owens. Let me let all yeah. the blood drain out of my cheeks now. And we'll get back to this <laughs> conversation. Get, I know. Get I get so I'm overclamped. Like, I'm a pathologist. We don't, you know. I know. We don't go there. Well, but the, I mean, but no, that's I'm glad real. we're talking People about it. Know, it's yeah. wrong. And we don't it's talk about it enough. enough. That's right. You're, I'm yeah, demonstrating right now, you know, the ridiculousness of, uh, of, of society. How many babies do you have now? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it, it at least happened twice. All right. We are talking about prematurity. It is Prematurity Awareness Month. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. Do you have any questions or comments, personal stories about uh, prematurity uh, that you'd love to share with us? We'd love to hear it. So we're talking now maybe about causes. Like what are some, there are oftentimes I guess when we don't really know the cause, but are there things that a woman can do in her pregnancy that can help reduce the risk of premature birth? Number one, we know that what you can do is have sex. That's not going to be a risk factor. So we yes. got that. So you we can got that do down. that and you can do it without fear. Do the deed. Do yes. it. Um, yeah. So, so what are some things you shouldn't do? So um, so one of the one of the easiest things and a significant contributor to prematurity rates and other um, issues in pregnancy, like abortion and growth problems with growth is smoking be surprised at how big of a contributor it is. Wait, another reason not to smoke? Another reason. I know. 
we, the we're ding? making a really long list. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I have yet to come across a reason to smoke, Dr. Owens. Well, people talk a lot about, um, you know, lo- people always think about smoking and lung cancer. And mm-hmm. it's as if that's, that's the only thing that happens when you smoke. And um, at least in my world, in in the OBGYN world, smoking is linked to several things. If you're not pregnant, you know, we're talking about um, HPV and increasing risk for cervical cancer. But on the pregnancy side, specifically as it pertains to prematurity, um, smoking increases your risk for prematurity. It increases the risk that you'll have problems with your placenta that could create a medical emergency, a situation that we call an abruption, because abruption rates are are higher in women who smoke. Um, Fetal... um, Birth defects, which also are a big contributor to preterm birth rates. Um, There are some that are specifically associated with smoking Um, and problems with baby's growth. So people who smoke more than about 10 cigarettes a day have babies that weigh on average about a pound, a little over um, a pound less than babies um, of moms who don't smoke. So um, we know for sure that um, that is a big contributor, not only to preterm birth. It's an easy, it's a, um, I won't say easy because for people who do smoke, it's very difficult to it stop. It is avoidable. Yes, but mm-hmm. it is a modifiable yeah. risk factor. That is something that you, we actually as individuals truly have control over. What if your partner smokes, like secondhand smoke? Has that been shown? So secondhand smoke has been shown to um, have negative consequences, not quite as well described um, as for those people who do smoke, but being in a smoking environment and the effects of secondhand smoke are still greater than when you were in a smoke-free environment. Um, But you know, the biggest thing is if if mom smokes and the other part is that it's really hard to be a non-smoker in a smoke free envi- environment. Mm-hmm. It's especially hard to be a former smoker in a smoky environment. So and I think I might have said smoke free, but I meant smoky. Um, so that uh, the, we encourage people to do whatever they can to create a smoke-free environment for themselves because it's healthier for the mom and it's also healthier for the baby. All right, so do have sex, don't smoke. What's another one? Well, um, the other one would probably be to, um, to, to get medical care and to control any um, medical problems that you have that exist before pregnancy. And this is a little difficult for some women because um, pregnant women are primarily the younger, healthier Um, group of folks when you're thinking about all people in the population. Um, And so as a result, many women who um, are who become pregnant may not necessarily receive routine medical care or have an identified provider that they see regularly, maybe outside of their OBGYN. Um, However, for those women who do have a, a an existing condition, whether that is high blood pressure, diabetes, um, thyroid disorders, whether it's uh, overactive thyroid or an underactive thyroid, um, all of those things, you need to, it, it, your pregnancy works out better if you get your underlying medical conditions controlled first. So ideally, you would like to optimize that the health of the mom before pregnancy occurs in order to decrease the likelihood of them having additional risks in pregnancy. 
Um, and that is also true for kidney disease and many of the, and, and for most other chronic medical conditions. We recommend that you have those things under control first and then achieve pregnancy. Now, that's in a perfect world. Um, and, and while the world that we live in is maybe perfect for us, it's not necessarily perfect. And so it doesn't always work out that way. However, um, we would like to, whenever possible, have women who have chronic medical conditions, A, think about when and if they want to be pregnant. And if you want to become pregnant, to be working on a plan where you are planning your pregnancy such that you can get your own personal health optimized before achieving pregnancy. And if you are kind of still working on it and you get pregnant, um, then to continue to work on those medical conditions, um, even very early in pregnancy, because the best predictor of the health of baby and also even correlated to duration of pregnancy, a lot of times has to do with the health of the mom. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that is the oven. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, and just to kind of segue really quickly, because you know I love the numbers, um, we kind of mentioned that this was a problem not only in Mississippi but in, in the United States in general. Um, so the United States actually doesn't perform very well. Our, our preterm birth rates are very high compared with other countries. We rank about 131st um, out of 185 countries of the world when you look at our preterm birth rates. And so it seems counterintuitive considering the fact that we are a country that is is well-developed and um, while, while everybody doesn't have everything, we are considered to be one of the richest countries in the world. Um, we have abundance of resources um, and, you know, very expensive health care and a lot of really great technology. And yet um, we... There are plenty of other countries that outperform us. Same for maternal mortality, um, but that's going to be another show at another time. But um, so, so we struggle with it in the United States, and um, the March of Dimes actually has rated the United States as a C. So we got a C. So they uh, they issue these report cards every year based on preterm birth rates, and preterm birth rates do vary by your geography. And so depending on where you are and the way that they've broken it down is by state. And so every state gets a grade. And we're kind of in the red belt. Um, and Mississippi has been red since the beginning. Um, we have always been among the leaders in the country for our high rates of preterm birth. Um, and that has kind of been the case. We've been making progress over the past few years, um, and we've seen um, improvements. As a matter of fact, uh, a few years ago, we were awarded the Virginia APGAR Award for basically the most improved. Um, it's almost like being kind of voted most likely to succeed. Like we, we actually were doing the work to see a significant decrease in our numbers of premature births, and so that's great. And uh, something that, that those of us who worked on this initiative are very proud of, because um, even though we were still leading the nation, we had made significant decreases in our numbers. So we were kind of narrowing the gap, um, which is something that um, I think is, is something to be proud of and that people in Mississippi should know that, that things are getting better, even though they may not seem like it, even though you hear that we're leading the nation in this every year that things are getting better. Um, but about 10% of all babies that are born in the United States are born preterm. 
And um, those preterm babies, um, that's about 400,000 babies a year. Um, those preterm babies, uh, you know, that's the greatest contributor to um, morbidity and mortality for uh, for babies in this country. So it's the greatest contributor to overall infant death or, ba- you know, um, infant death and uh, infant mortality um, within within the United States. So I think that that's something to know. Um, Mississippi, however, you know, we're talking about report cards and all this stuff's available. If you look up the March of Dimes website, you can go and you can see kind of state by state. They can walk you through it. You can see the differences that exist in um Healthcare disparities because there are ethnic differences, there are differences by socioeconomic status and other things. Um, but even though the the national average we're about a C, which is meh, it's not great, but it's not awful. It's just meh. In the United States, we're not used to being meh. We should be better, right? So we want to be better. We don't just want to be average. But right now, so the March of Dimes says we're a C. Um, it's better than awful. Well, Mississippi is an F, and we've been consistently oh, an F. So, yeah, that so that was not on cue, but okay. So, Mississippi has been given an F, and we've consistently been an F. And um, we we know that the folks who listen in our listening audience are not just limited to Mississippi, but if you, our neighbors, that's kind of something we're all kind of hanging out in the same little group, so to speak, because it's, you know, Louisiana, us, Alabama, Tennessee, you know, uh, and we all have similar patient demographics and some of the same social struggles within those areas. And you see that those folks, and there's one outlier because West Virginia's up there stuck and they got an F2. But um, we are really struggling within the Southeast um, to tackle this problem. And there are some places where they are doing a much better job. They can even be, the, and some of those places are way more populous than we are. Um, So there are definitely some things that we can do to make significant strides in this problem. But I think first we got to realize that it's a problem. The first step in making a solution is knowing you got the problem, right? Yeah. There you go. All right. We're going to go to the phone lines. Tim is calling us from Hattiesburg. Hey, Tim. Yeah, I got a thank you for taking my call. Let's start with that. You're welcome, Tim. What's your question? My wife is 39 years old. Uh, She's my second marriage. I've had one child before, and we're unable to produce a child now. I was curious as to what avenue we should take, who to check her, me, or just exactly what you would recommend. Great. So, Tim, um, this is so what you're describing, um, and it depends on how long you guys have been trying, but what I would tell you is based on what you've said, if your wife is 39, um, I, my recommendation would be that um, that you both uh, go to see a specialist, a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist, or you could start with her OBGYN to get the referral. But most REIs will take you guys if you just call for that reason, um, just because at 39... <laughs> The uh, window for her fertility is kind of a little shorter. Um, And so people tend to not want to wait very long when you're talking about a woman who's 39 years old who wants to um, achieve a pregnancy. You said that you had had one child previously. However, it still um, is reasonable for both of you to be checked. 
Um, when you go to that evaluation, they will ask some historical questions. They'll ask her some in-depth questions and also do an assessment of your overall health history. Um, the other thing is that in the meantime, it's just really important. People think that all you have to do is have sex to get pregnant. And while sex is important to get pregnant, you got to also do it at the right time. So the timing is important as well. And so, um, the frequency of her menstrual cycles, whether or not she's actually ovulating, all of those things that a, uh, that a, a healthcare professional can help you guys to ascertain um, would also kind of be part of that initial thing. It may not require medications. It may be that all she needs are a few medications in order to be able to, um, to get you guys the, the baby that you want. But um, that would be the place to start, and I think that it's something that would be beneficial for both you and your wife to go together because there will be some valuable information and a contribution on your behalf that will be very important in, in getting you guys to where you want to be. And really go sooner rather than later, right? Absolutely. That's, that, that's why I said um, he said she's 39, and while there are plenty of women who you know are able to have pregnancies, successful pregnancies well into their 40s, if you have determined that it's not happening soon enough for you at 39 you don't want to keep waiting that's the time for you to go ahead and 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 go okay thank you i sure appreciate your information absolutely and good luck to you thank you bye all right thanks jim it is time for our next break. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 We're talking prematurity, but if you have any obstetrical questions, Dr. Owens is in the house. She's ready to take them. Right, Dr. Owens? Absolutely. Absolutely. Give us a call, Give us a call at Southern Remedy for Women. We have had only men calling today. Ladies, come on. Let's hear about it. Let's hear about your preemies that are doing great today or other experiences you might have had. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. an MPB Think Radio podcast. And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women. We're talking today about prematurity. This is Prematurity Awareness Month. And I was just made aware that I had a premature baby. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I had a baby at 36 weeks. He was ginormous. He was eight though. pounds, four ounces. So he was ready baby. to rock. He needed to come out. That was a big baby. Good gracious. Yes, and I went into straight up labor with that guy. Well, I was go. lecturing to the medical students in the pathology course, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I won't be here tomorrow to do part two of this lecture. I think I'm having a baby. You, know, <laughs> you don't want medical students <laughs> delivering your baby. They're not quite. They're not quite cooked yet either. Oh my god! That second year, they You're hadn't gotten in the me. clinic yet. You're killing me. But my issue, uh, well, I went into labor prematurely, but also I always have low platelets when I'm pregnant, and then you oh, don't want to get down to that point you where you can't get the epidermal. I, uh, yeah, I am mm-hmm. I, with both of my boys. Oh, wow. Whatever. Get out of here. Did you stay above 100? I did. Oh, okay. Because otherwise, oh, I, no epidural. Oh, no, yeah. Let me tell you. That would have been a problem. I'm no, I'm no hero. Uh, <laughs> you're a shero. Thank you. 
We are talking about prematurity. Yeah. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I just want to tell the listening audience: whenever Owens and I talk about doing a show about OB, that's obstetrics, she always says, eh, "Nobody's going to call." Nobody calls well, on thanks, the OB fellas, shows. for all your calls and your questions. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're making her feel bad about no, her profession. I, I love all, all of I us was born, fact. right? Yeah, we and were a lot all of us born. Become parents, many of us. You know, yes. and prematurity is scary. I'll just speak for myself. You know, being I think as women, a lot of times we run around. We ne- don't necessarily treat our bodies the best way. You know, we don't eat when we should and things like that, or don't eat what we should. And being pregnant is stressful because it's not just about you anymore. And thinking about all, there are just so many things. It's just a miracle to me sometimes that things go right so often. Well, I mean, it is, that's why I really like what I do because it is miraculous to me to see that. Like when I see my kids running around and I think, you guys were actually inside of me. And I had this weird moment when my mom was talking to me and I was like, holy smokes, I like grew inside your body. And that is awesome. I remind my boys all the time. That that like I really was inside of your body at some point. And like you, you were designed, we are divinely engineered to be able to do that for each other. Like, and that we can grow a human being and, and we are innately protective like the our physiology is protective of that baby while it is going through its perfecting time, and I just think that's amazing. It is amazing. You know, and, so, and I'm happy to be a woman that I can do such a thing. Yeah, I think I would, awesome. would be kind of, I'd be sad if yeah. I was a dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being able well, to have a baby is cool. You know, it is. But you know, being able to contribute is cool too. And I feel like right, even though they so. don't, even though they don't get a chance to be the gestational it's a carriers, big contribution. <laughs> well, I just think that even though they can't be the gestational carriers on the backside of it, they can definitely make up by changing dirty diapers and well, that's doing all true. That other and I have stuff. a great husband. I have to say, helped me a lot with all that stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so I and I understand, you know, for our caller before, but like the how you know people can feel very motivated or be very desirous, number one, to become pregnant. But the other piece is, you know, um, very vigilant about what they do while they're pregnant. And um, it is a very potent motivator for people to kind of get their acts together sometimes Mm -hmm. with some things that they may have been struggling with before, Um, whether that's your diet and your diabetic, if it's smoking, if it's substance use. It's just having the opportunity to be responsible for growing another person in that way. Um, it's been amazing for me as a, as a physician to see how that has motivated patients in ways that even I wasn't able to do just by mm-hmm. admonishing or requesting that they, you know, take on certain behaviors. Don't for their admonish own your patients. It's rude. I, I know. I was just in a, you what? know, we, we are, you know, we get real, we get real in the exam room and every now and again, I, we have to sit down and say, okay, look, like, let's get together. I'm admonishing you. <laughs> I need to get the dictionary out for oh that my mess. Gosh, anyway. So, so what, how can you tell if you're in premature labor? What are some warning signs? Because I would imagine that the sooner you can kind of get to see somebody, uh, if you're suspecting that, that it would yeah. be more beneficial. Absolutely. So, and and so a lot of so there are lots of women who um, have risk factors for prematurity who may not know them, and we haven't kind of gone through all of them. But you know, there are some that people kind of know. So, if you have more than one baby in the womb, if there are more womb mates, then 
um, that increases your risk. So if you have multiples, twins, triplets, did more you say than mates? I did say oh. mates. See, look at you. You're That's sharp. really cute. <laughs> um, so the more people that you're stuffing in there at the same time, the, the more likely they are to come early. Um, being concerned. And the other thing is... Um, if you've had a prior preterm birth, so the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So if you've done that before, um, that's another thing. So, now, there is a difference in the types of premature births. So some people have to have their babies early because they have a complication or something happens in pregnancy and they need to be delivered early. That's a little different. Um, that still counts to the overall preterm birth rate. But um, those we call those, um, you know, medically indicated preterm deliveries um, or iatrogenic or whatever the the concept is that there's a medical reason so if you had an indication that's a little different than having a spontaneous preterm birth um, but other things that we do so ultrasound um, we use ultrasound to kind of as a risk assessment because we know that women who have a short cervix when we de- when we designate them as having a short cervix and there's a number that we look for when we measure it and women who have a cervical length of less than 2.5 centimeters um, are at increased risk for delivering early. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean 24 weeks? Does it mean 34 weeks? Does it mean 36 weeks? The answer is yeah, because we don't know exactly when. But we know that the shorter the cervix is, once it gets beyond that 2.5 um, centimeter threshold, then that does increase rem- women's risk. Um, and also short interval pregnancies. So not spacing them. And when we say short interval, we recommend that people wait at least 18 months before you become pregnant again. Um, so if you have, you know, a nine month old and you're getting ready and you have a, you know, and you're delivering in two months, then that's a shorter interval pregnancy. If you didn't quite get to your postpartum visit and you're pregnant again, which happens quite frequently, um, then that that short spacing and not giving your body a chance to kind of fully recover and reset um, is another thing that that creates um, risk factors. Um, and so, I said that just because we had started on it and we didn't kind of go back. Substance abuse again is another thing that increases your risk, and so some of those are things that are modifiable. Um, now, go back. What was your question? You don't even remember, do you? Roommates? No, before roommates. I can't remember anything before I started talking. Yeah, so um, I was asking you about how you know you're in preterm. Yeah, labor. You know what are some warning labor. signs right. of preterm labor? So the warning signs, um, typically, I'm glad you asked that because um, I had a conversation with a patient about this yesterday. Um, so oh, it should be could, fresh on your mind. You can then. have early um, contractions, and so here's the thing, and this is going to blow your mind. Um, not all con- not all contractions are painful, and I think that's really important in the context of what we were talking about before. Um, so people will say to me, oh, I just felt my baby ball up in a ball and then relax. So babies don't typically ball themselves up in a ball and then relax. Um, And so that is the most common definition or the most common description that we have for people who are experiencing contractions. That's exactly what it feels like. Your belly gets tight. You can sometimes feel it and you can feel the hardening underneath the skin of, um, of the uterus when it contracts because it's a big muscle, right? It's a big muscle that's been stretched out. And so when it contracts, it gets there's a firmness there that's not normally there. And so most people believe that contractions always have to hurt. They do not always have to hurt. You can have contractions that are non-painful. Um, n- normally, when you are laboring, though, 
they are at least uncomfortable. Um, but it is it is possible for you to have contractions and even to be contracting regularly and they don't necessarily have to be painful. So the first thing would be if you're having that tightening um, on a regular basis, we usually use the threshold of more than more than five times in an hour. Um, then people need to hear from you. Another thing that could signal that um, is a change in abdominal pressure. So some people also may have or they may have pain in their lower back. That can also be another thing, that this back pain that comes and goes. Some people describe the contractions more like cramps or menstrual cramps. Um, and most of us, a, a lot of us don't have really painful menstrual cramps, and so it kind of feels that same way. So any of those things um, might let you know. Of course, if you have a big gush of fluid, um, or if you're leaking fluid consistently, that's something to be concerned about. It may not necessarily be preterm labor, but there are situations where the bag of water around the baby can break. And if that wa- bag of water breaks, um, even before the onset of labor, then those women need to be evaluated and hospitalized. So um, those would be some of the things that might let you know that you are in labor. Yeah, especially with the first pregnancy, it's sort of yeah. like, it's a very unfamiliar territory. You can talk about it all you want, but those feelings yeah. that you have yourself, yeah, it can be very confusing. And I had, and, and you know, the thing is that with pregnant women, people like to say all the time, oh, well, you know, that's just, it's just part of pregnancy because pregnancy is just kind of this catch all where everything that happens is attributed to the pregnancy. And so sometimes there are things that w- women may experience that are normal, but sometimes it's not. And so I think that it is always reasonable any time that you are concerned or worried for you to um, seek some kind of counsel from a healthcare professional, whether that is calling your doctor's office or um, presenting to triage um, or calling the hospital and, and speaking to um, a medical professional to, to get more clarity. Okay. Going to the phone lines, we're going to listen. Um, we're going to hear from Lee, who's calling us from Woodville. Hey, Lee. Good morning. Good morning. I have three that I'd like for you all to explain to your listeners, your female listeners, since the males have taken the show over today. (laughs) Right. (laughs) One is um, that hemoglobin in that blood, anemia during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Two is constipation, which is common. And to tell them what constipation is, and how they can avoid it okay. during pregnancy. And the third one and final one is preeclampsia, or that high blood pressure when that hemoglobin is not right. Awesome. I'm going to hang up and let you all explain that to them. Go, Lee. Right. Great, one, two, Lee. and three. All right, Dr. Owens, number one. Lee, you you are pitching right down my alley, buddy. Know, Thank right? you so we much. You just get a new job as a producer here, I think. Watch out, Jay White. <laughs> So, All right, number one, yeah, so anemia during pregnancy, first Dr. anemia Owens. during pregnancy. Okay, so um, so first of all, um, when you're pregnant, you have increased um, requirements for both iron and also for calcium because we are building another human being. And as we are doing that, uh, there are certain changes that our bodies go through in order to make that possible. Um, and so one of the things that happens in pregnancy and pregnant women uh, all around in our listening audience will hear this and know exactly what I'm talking about. So first is volume expansion. And so that means that we retain fluid. Um, some people think about it as swelling and, and that can be a little bit of a part of it. But 
What I'm talking about specifically is the we retain fluid inside our blood vessels. And so the retention of that fluid to be able to help us to provide um, additional blood flow to our to our uterus during pregnancy, um, part of the retention of that fluid within our blood vessels kind of has to be it. It creates a situation where our red blood cells have to catch up. So we we can retain that fluid more quickly than our bone marrow can create the red cells that we need in order to um, provide additional oxygen and support to a growing baby. So that's kind of where the anemia of pregnancy comes from. Now, the other part is that it is amazing to me how many people have these small nutritional deficiencies. So they don't get enough of um, the, of iron and other nutrients through their diet. Um, and that is not in a judgmental way. It just is what it is. So, um, so we recommend iron supplementation for most people. There are a few people with certain medical complications Speaking and we don't recommend constipation. that. Um, yeah. And so we don't recommend it for them. Um, so that's kind of the story about anemia and pregnancy. Um, moving quickly to constipation, it is one of the most common. Moving quickly ha -ha. to constipation? See, you see what I did there. I'm glad you're paying attention. So moving quickly to constipation, it is one of the more common uh, complications or complaints that I hear in pregnancy. Ways to avoid it, stay well hydrated, lots of fiber in your diet. If you need to, you can occasionally take Miralax. We usually will recommend stool softeners to these women because additionally you're taking iron, and so that can also slow you up a little bit. Um, there is a hormonal component to the constipation piece, and so that's part of why um, you the things don't move through the, the gut in the same way because of the hormone effect of pregnancy that influences our um, intestines and the motility there. Can you touch on preeclampsia in a minute, Dr. And it's actually in 30 seconds. So preeclampsia, <laughs> what I've spent the last 15, of my, 15 years of my life studying. Um, so preeclampsia is a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy, and it is a situation that can occur in people who already have hypertension or those women who have never had hypertension. Um, it is a syndrome that consists primarily of elevated blood pressures along with some end organ symptoms and also um, we also use proteinuria and other laboratory results to diagnose it. It was formerly called toxemia, but if it occurs, it can be an indication for an early delivery. And if it is not treated appropriately, it can be life-threatening for both mom and baby. And this goes to a question that we received from someone, um, from Kathy, who wanted to wanted to address women who are pregnant but don't feel the need to go to the doctor. I think preeclampsia detection is Absolutely. a good reason for, for starters Absolutely. And, and many, many others, but we don't have time for that today. We'll have to talk about this at another time, though, because that's Absolutely. a really important issue. Yes, Absolutely. I know pregnancy is very natural, but please go to the doctor. Today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by Jay White. Uh, with Dr. Michelle Owens, my special guest today and co-host. Thanks for being with us and join us next Friday at 11. We'll have Dr. Megan Clapton on from Mindful Therapy talking about imposter syndrome. This is Southern Remedy for Women. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. See y'all next week. <laughs>